All right, Rabbi, say good morning. Let us begin. Begin by thanking our Tamil Torah sponsors for the month of Tamils. To thank Adam and Yudit Benzev for dedicating all the Shurim and Drashos in honor of their children, Jake, Serena, and Rosie. To thank our Week of Learning sponsors, Yehud and Jennifer Goodhart, for dedicating the learning this week in commemoration of the Yartite of Jennifer's father, Yeshaya Zalman ben Lazar. And to thank our Dafyomi sponsor for today, Alan Wiseman, in memory of his mother-in-law, Mildred Newman, Malka Bas Yitzchak, Asher Zichron Lebracha, we hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, all of the Neshamos, Lahav, and Aliyah, and the families, in Chama. And with that, let us begin. We have uh, an incredible daf ahead of us today, really incredible daf ahead of us today. We are picking up in Merit Hashem. Today's daf is San Ches. But we have uh, we have a little a little bit of catch up to do in here, just a bit. We are starting on Samech Zayin Amud Beis sixty seven B, and we're picking up. Let's just pick up from Tana Debe Rabbi Shmuel Azoel. Excuse me, Azazel Shemechapra Maisa Uzav Uzal. So it's pretty much right in the middle of right in the middle of the page. If you have on the left hand margin your Hagos Habach. It's pretty much right across from that. So Tana, the Bey Rabbi Shmuel, Azazel. Why is the Midbar? Remember again, we call this desert Azazel. Why is it called Azazel? Shemechaper Amaisa Uza Vaazel. Because it has the seer is so powerful that it has the power to go ahead and atone for the sin of Uza and Uzal. Now, what is that referring to? If you look at Rashi, Uza Vuzal, Malochi Chabala Sheyardu Li Aretz. Be-me-na-ama-achos-tuval-kayin. Who went ahead and decided that life in this world would be more exciting than life in the celestial sphere, and they came down and engaged in immorality. So the Gemara is saying that that's the reference to Uza and Uzael were these fallen malachim. These fallen malachim. So the point that the Gemara is making over here is that the seir is so powerful that it's mechaber even on arayos. It's mechaper even on immorality, which is an incredible, incredible yisod. Because I will say, lest you think, you know, sometimes when you think about the power of the seer to be mechaper, we kind of think about the seer's ability to be mechaper, I'll call lesser averos, right? Or smaller infractions. But now the Gemara telling me that the seer is so powerful that it's mechaper, it atones even for adultery. So the Gemara goes weiter. was a very beautiful b'raisa. So the Torah says as follows, quoting over here, the Pasik from Vayikra, Es Mishpat Haitasu, Veschuko Saitishmoru Lalakas Pamaniashwal Kechem. What is in this Mishpat Haitasu? Both say Mishpatim are what? Dvarim She'el Malelo Nichtavu, Dilhu Sheikasvu. So say Mishpatim are halachas that even had a Kodesh Baruch who not stated them, intuitively I would have known them. Ve'eluhin, for example, Avadas Kochavim, idolatry. Gilarais, immorality, shrikhos dom and murder, gezel theft, birchas Hashem, cursing God. So these are all examples of Averos, where even had the Torah not prohibited them, 
intuitively I would have understood that you cannot engage in these activities. As chukos haitishmoru, what do chukos refer to? So the Gemara says, Dvarim shasatan meshivalehen. These are the things that the Satan whispers in our ear and says, come on, this is ridiculous, right? This is ridiculous. Why do you have to go ahead and do this? For example, ve'elohein, achilas chazer, consumption of chazer, levishas shatnes, wearing shatnes, chalitzas yivama, the whole process of chalitza, taras hamitzora, the purification of the mitzora. And I both say it's interesting. Why does it say purification of the mitzora and not purification of other people who are tummy? Because remember, the mitzora has a weird purification process, right? The blood applications on the thumb, on the earlobe, on the big toe. Other situations, again, you go to the mikvah, you bring a carbon. Okay, I understand that. Mitzora is a bit more complicated. Seir ha-mishtaleach. And I will say again, this is why this is being brought down. And what's another example? Seir ha-mishtaleach. I will say, why is seir ha-mishtaleach something that the sultan whispers in my ear? Because I will say, does it make sense? that you push a goat off the cliff and suddenly, as they say, all is git, right? Everything is good. Just push the goat off the cliff and it's mechaper even for maisa uzav uzal, even for matters of immorality. Makes no sense. To- totally counterintuitive. So the Gemara says, it's interesting, by the way, what's, what's missing from this list? What's missing from this list? This week's parsha, right? Paraduma. So it, 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 is, it is interesting. The re- it appears, it would appear, then maybe part of the reason why para aduma is not included in this is because if you look at these things, these are things that the satan would say really have no rhyme or reason. Para aduma at least is in the general framework, sacrificial framework. It's in Karbanos. Okay, para aduma is enigmatic in that it makes the tame tahar and the tahar tame. That's strange, but the process itself of a carbonic or a, carb- a quasi-carbonic concept is not such, a, such an aberration. If you look at the rest of these things, right, shatnes, I don't understand what, what I don't even understand like, like the rhyme or reason about it. Even again, e- even Chazri brings in your kashros because the truth is the halachos of kashros are not uh, initially intuitive. So again, the Gemara says, B'Shem Tomar, Maise Tohim. So maybe you'll look at these things and you'll say, ah, this is foolishness. Therefore, the Pasik says, I am God. I am HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who engraved these things, right? I am HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who solidified these obligations, and you have no Rishos, you have no right, to go ahead and, literally means like to question or to wonder about them. And I just want to point out over here something, something really dramatically amazing. You so, see, on one hand, on one hand, Yiddishkeit often gives us the license to question. And in fact, even encourages us to question. Questioning is good, right? Questioning, remember, there'd be no innovation. There's no original thought. There's no intellectual progression without questioning. So that has always been part of our historical or, or our, say, our, our national dynamic. But the other side of that coin is an acceptance. It's an acceptance. What, what, what it means to be a Jew is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu says it and I do it. And I do it. Whether it appeals to my conscience, whether it appeals to my isms, whether it appeals to my ashkafas, that's irrelevant. That's irrelevant. God, God is not here to fit into my agenda. My obligation is to fit my agenda into God. That's, that's the job of a Jew, to follow the orders of the Ribbono Shal Olam. And if HaKadosh Baruch Hu says it, I understand it, I don't understand it, Ani Hashem, I am HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and if I ask you to do something, 
You do it. So I just want to point out it's this incredible dialectic. Question. Of course we should question. We should always question. We should always try to understand. But at the end of the day, my performance of mitzvahs and my allegiance and my fidelity to HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not based on receiving the answers. I do what I do and I am who I am because HaKadosh Baruch Hu asks me for something and I stand ready to deliver. That's the hashkafa of the Jew. And that's the Gemara's highlighting over here. Whether it's Chukim, whether it's Mishpatim, Ribono Shal Olam, if you ask me to do something, I pledge to you to answer the call. Incredible Gemara. And remember again, the Mishnah said, we know that the person who takes the sire, his clothing becomes tummy. So the Gemara says, at what point in time does the Tumah, does the Tumah begin? So remember again, we had a Machlokes in the Mishnah. But a Machlokes in the Mishnah. Right? The first opinion said, the Tanakhama said, as soon as you leave Yerushalayim. And then, Rabbi Shimon said, after the goat is pushed off the cliff. So, okay, so it says the Gemara, So it's an interesting Raisa. It is only the individual who goes ahead and takes the goat, whose clothing becomes Tameh. But what, what the Gemara calls the Sholeach Es HaMishaleach, the one who sends, the one who takes the goat. Now, both say, now who is that? If you look at Rashi, HaSholeach Es HaMishaleach, HaMelavim Osam Yushalayim. Remember again, both say, what was the last Mishnah? The Mishnah that we just spoke about was that Miyakir Yushalayim, people used to escort, they used to escort the Ishiti out. So it's only the Ishiti himself who becomes Tame. But the people who escort him do not become Tameim. You might have thought that as soon as the Ish Iti leaves the confines of the Beis Hamikdash, she should become Tamei. So maybe you'll think again, if you just based on the word Mishaleach, maybe he only becomes Tamei once he gets to the Tzuk, which I will say means, see, we see Tzuk is used in two ways. Tzuk could mean the desert, but here in this context, it means the cliff. The cliff. So the Gemara says, Tamalor, Rab Mishaleach, Hakeitzad. The Torah devolves upon the Ishiti as soon as he leaves Yerushalayim. Rabbi Yossi Omer Azazel Vechibes. The Basic says Azazel Vechibes. Right? He'll get to Azazel. The Gemara You only become Tamei once you get to the cliff. Rabbi Shimon Omer Vav Mishaleach Esaseir La Azazel Yechabes Begadav Zarko Ultimately, I'm going to say he throws it. Now it's interesting. Bebas rosh, bepashtus means, right, he throws it head first. He throws it head first, and at that point in time, it becomes tamigadim. So we'll say there isn't machlok about how you throw the sire off the cliff. Because if you remember getting yesterday's daf, in yesterday's daf, um, right, we saw backwards. Backwards, so actually backwards, so that I could see the, uh, so that I could see the, the. Uh, thank you, the string, the string. Also, also backwards because bepashlos, that goat's going nowhere. If it sees the, uh, someone came over to me in the shir yesterday and told me that goats have excellent traction. First thing I asked them is, how do you know that, right? It sounds like you're making that up, but all right. But anyway, it makes a lot of sense. Right? So he said to throw a goat off the cliff head first. But in any event, it's a machlokas. It's a machlokas which way you're throwing the goat off. And I will say again, the way the Rambam paskins is that halacha la we paskin like the Tanakam and the Mishnah, 
namely that Tuma devolves upon the individual. Um, as soon as you leave the Choma, as soon as you leave the walls of Yerushalayim, ultimately again, Tuma devolves upon the individual. I will say now, point out something interesting over here. Um, actually, you know what, I'll save it. There, there's, okay, you know what, I'll come back, I'll come back. There's, there's, I'll come back because we're going to make one more reference to the string turning white. So I'll, I'll share with you an idea when we get to that. Let's go to the Mishnah. So this is the Mishnah. We'll say, so continuing, we get the coin goggles. So remember again, at this point in time, the Ish ET is doing his thing. So remember, as soon as, soon as the Ish, so what's interesting to note is as follows. The Ish ET leaves Yerushalayim and he's on his way to Azazel. He's on his way to Azazel. The Shaila now is like, what is the Kohen Gadol doing inside of the Beis Hamikdash? So here we go. Balo eats al par v'soyer and nisrafim. So we'll say the Kohen Gadol comes back to the par and the soyer, which are going to be burned. Now remember again, only thing he's done with the par and the soyer so far is what is what is sprinkled the blood. Right? Remember again, we've had three applications in the Kodesh Hakadoshim, in the Kodesh, onto the paroches, onto the curtain, and on the mizbeach hazav, onto the golden altar. What do you do with the remainder of the blood? What do you do with the remainder? Poured out by the Yisod. Okay, but we haven't touched the animal carcasses, the animal bodies themselves. So now we're going to discuss what we do with the actual animals themselves. So Bado Ito Par Visar Hanisrafin, he comes ultimately again to the par and the sawyer. Karan, he, he cuts it open, Votias Emre, and takes out the sacrificial parts. Nastan Bamagis puts them in a bowl, Vihiktiran Agabi Hamizbeh, and burns them on the Mizbeh. So I'll say this, so the sacrificial parts themselves are burnt to the Mizbeh. Kalan Bimiklos. Here's what's interesting. It's only the sacrificial parts that are burnt to the Mizbeach. The animals themselves are actually burnt outside of Yerushalayim. So how do you transport the animal? They would actually, literally it means, Kalan means they would braid. So if you could imagine, they would take the animal body, and, and it was still intact, and wrap it around the pole, one pole for the para, one pole, one pole for the sawyer, and they would carry it out to a place that they called the Beis Hasrefa. Beis Hasrefa is an area outside of Yerushalayim where they would go ahead and burn these animals. And from what point in time do the clothing of the people who transport the animals become Tameh? In this case, as soon as you leave the wall of the Beis Hamikdash, you become Tameh. Rabbi says, no, when we become Tameh by the Beis Hasrefa, by the base Hasrefa, after the fire has taken hold of the majority of the carcass of the animal. So it says the Gimara Viktira Sakadaita supposed to remember again when you read the Mishnah, the way the Mishnah sounds like is the coin goes over to the pyre in the sire, right? He cuts it open, takes out the sacrificial parts, puts it in a bowl, and then offers it up on the Mizbech. So it sounds like it's being offered up on the Mizbech right now. Now, I will say, now, in fact, we know that that's not the case. It's actually not offered up on the Mizbech until later. So why does it say that it's being offered up now? To which the owners, No, no, no. What it means is, you take the sacrificial parts, you put it in a bowl in order to offer it up on the Mizbech, but you're not actually offering it up on the Mizbech just yet. Says the Gemara, Kalan Bemaklos, you go out and you take the clothing, sorry, the clothing, the animal, and you braid it, you braid it on the poles. Says the Gemara, like a braid. So also what that would just mean is, I guess you would just take the limbs and kind of intertwine them in order to lock them onto the, in order to fasten them to the pole. Tana, lo hayam anaskman nituach basar ola, 
Well, see, here's what's interesting. When going ahead and transporting the, the power in the Sawyer, you would not flay it. You would not flay it, right? So in other words, it's very interesting. So by an Ola, for example, before you go ahead and dismember the animal, you would go ahead and flay it. Here, you do not flay the animal before dismembering it. So we're going to spend a little bit of time focusing on this idea. So from where do I know that I don't flay it before I dismember it? So the Gemara says, uperesh. It says over here, or, which means skin, basar, flesh, perish. Perish also literally means waste, right? The waste that's trapped inside the body. And it says over there, the over there, if you look at the last Rashi, Mashiach. So I'll say Parkoin Mashiach is the situation where the coin Gadol goes ahead and and issues an erroneous ruling, and he himself acts on that ruling. And as a result, commits an Avera. So no, no one else acted on it, he just acted on it himself. And Halach Lamaisa, again, there's a particular carbon he has to bring as part of his process of tshuva. It's part of the process. Just look at the last Rashi. Benemar beparkoi Mashiach aru basu peresh ves orha par ves kol besaro arosh akfan. So the Gemara says it says over here by Yom Kippur by the parents soir it says or basu peresh and it says by the parkoi gadol or what we call the parkoi Mashiach or basar um peresh. The Gemara says I'm sorry. Tav of Samaches ma lahalon ayideni tuach velo ayide hevshit. So we'll say by the parkoin Mashiach, you have to dismember the animal, the sacrificial animal, but you do not flay it. Afkan So to over here, by the par and sa'ir of Yom Kippur, you will go ahead and dismember it, but you will not flay it. I have a Hasamanalan. We'll say, by the way, where do you know by the parkoin Mashiach? That you do not go ahead and flay the animal before this before dismembering it. Tisanya the carvo the carvo the sorry. The um yeah, the kirbo, sorry. The kirbo pirsho vahotsi. So we'll say, because the Pasik says, literally again, it's inside, it's waste, you shall take out. That teaches me that the animal is removed intact. Therefore, again, the Torah tells me that the par, the par koi mashiach is taken out. Remember, because the par koi mashiach, like the par in the Sarv Yom Kippur, has its sacrificial parts offered up on the Mizbeach, but then the animal itself is burnt in the base hasreifa. When the animal is taken out, it's taken out intact. So we'll say, now what does that mean? So, We'll say, here's what's interesting. Remember, when you read the Mishnah, if you were to read, let's pause for just a moment. If you read our Mishnah, how do you assume the par and the sar are being, are being burned? Whole, right? It's because remember, the Mishnah makes no reference to, to flaying or to dismembering. The Yomar points out, we're going to learn out everything from the Parakoin Mashiach. When you look at the Pesukim by Parakoin Mashiach, it sounds like that halacha lamaisa. The animal, the animal is so, we know that the animal is taken out whole. Meaning, so they shech the animal in the base of Eitosh, sacrificial parts are offered up on the Mizbeach, and now the animal itself is taken out, is taken out to the base Asreva. Now we know, Aleph, it's taken out whole. Yachol Yisrefan Ushalim, you might have thought, therefore, it's burnt whole as well. Ne'emar Khan Rosho Ukrov, Ve'ne'emar Lahalon Rosh Ukraim. So we'll say, it says over here, by Parkoin Mashiach, Literally, again, it's head and its legs. And it says, by carbon ola, it's head and its legs as well. Just like by ola, the animal is dismembered before it is burned. 
Afkan ayedeni tuach. So too over here, by parkoin Mashiach, the animal is dismembered before it's burned. Ay, imal lahalon ayedehevshet. Afkan ayedehevshet. For one second, the Ola on both sides, before it's dismembered, is also flayed. So maybe just like the Ola is flayed, so too the parkoin Mashiach should be flayed as well. Tamud lomar, vikirba uparsho. So what's said, what said, what does that drasha mean, vikirba uparsho? Amra papa, kishem shepirsho vikirba, to teach you that the same way that the waste is contained in the body, kach bisaro ba'oro. So too the flesh is contained in the hide, i.e. the hide is not removed. So both say, so essentially what comes out is as follows, that we learn out from Parakoy and Mashiach, that halacha lemaisa, an animal is dismembered before it is burnt. But ultimately, again, the Parakoy Mashiach, unlike the Ola, is not flayed before being dismembered. And then we learn out the par and sa'ir of Yom Kippur from the Parakoin Mashiach. And therefore, halacha lemaisa, what we are being taught is that, is that although the animal is taken out whole to the base hasrefa, it is in fact dismembered before it is burnt. It is burnt limb by limb. But halacha lemaisa, it is not flayed before it is dismembered. Incredible. Good. So we'll say from what point in time, remember again, the people, the people going ahead and carrying the power in the sawyer, they become tame when does their clothing become tame? So the Mishnah said, once again, it was a machlok, as Tanakama said, as soon as you leave the wall of the Azara, and Rabbi Shimon said, as soon as the fire kind of takes hold of the carbon. So says the Gemara, the Pasik says you shall take it out, outside of the camp, and ultimately go ahead and burn it. So the Gemara says, So we'll say ultimately again, by Parkoin Godel, you give them three Machanos. And we'll say what that means is, remember, often this Lashon of three Machanos really comes from our arrangement in the desert. Remember again, there was Machan Eshchina, that's where the that's where the Mishkan was. There was Machana Levia, that's where the Leviim camped around, and then there was Machana Yisrael, where everyone else camped around. So again, in Eretz Yisrael, we also have Shalosh Machanos. The base Hamikdash is Machana Shechina, Harabayis is Machana Levia, and Yerushalayim is Machana Yisrael. So when we speak about the idea Yotzi Al Michutz Machana by the Par Kohen Gadol, that means you take the Par outside of the three machanos, which means that the par is burned outside of Yerushalayim. The kan atanosi lahem machana achos. But I will say, maybe over here, you own, maybe by the par inside of Yom Kippur, maybe you only have to give them one machana. In other words, maybe the par and the sar only have to be burnt outside of the base of Mekdush itself. Maybe you don't have to go out of Yerushalayim. In Cain, lama ne'amar michutz lamachana. If that's the case, then why does the Torah use lashna michutz lamachana? Lomar lecho, keivan sheyatz lechutz lamachana, achos tzmeim begadim. To teach me that halacha lamaisa, as soon as you leave the base of Mekdush, i.e. the chomas ha'azara, the wall of the base of Mekdush, the person taking the parnasariah becomes tame, Tomas Begadim, the Hassam Minalan. And we'll say ultimately again, where do we know that the Parakoin Gadol is burnt outside of the Gimel Machanos, the Sanya, because we learned Vahutsi has called Hapar, the says you shall take the take out the entire par. Chutz Lashalosh Machanos. It means you take the entire par out of all three Machanos, right? So meaning you burn it outside of Yerushalayim. Ata Omer Chutz Lashalosh Machanos. 
Well, how do you know? How do you have to take it out of all three camps? Maybe you only have to take it out of one. But remember again, if we say you have to take it out of one, so where would you be burning it? Right outside of the base of Mikdash. Right on Harabais, outside of the base of Mikdash. Kishu Omer bepar ha'ida al michutz lamachane. When it says about say by the paraida, which again paraida is the is the par that's offered up when Klal Yisrael followed an erroneous ruling. So it doesn't have to say Michutz Lamachana. Why? Shari Kvarne Amar Vesaraf also Kasher Saraf Esapar Harishon. The Pasik says you shall burn it just like you burnt the original par. So why does the Pasik have to say El Michutz Lamachana? Leating Lo Machana Shrin Shnia. To go ahead and tell you that you have to take it out of a second camp. And then when it says ultimately again that you have to go ahead and take it out of the camp ultimately again by the Trumas Hadashan, because that phrase is unnecessary. That comes to teach me ultimately again that there is the need to go ahead and remove it from a third camp as well. What does Rabbi Shimon do with this phrase? Just like over here, it means you remove the item from all three machanos. So to over here, out of all three machanos, just like we'll say over here, we burn the we burn the carbon on the eastern side of Yerushalayim. I'm sorry. So to over here, so we burn it on the eastern side of Yerushalayim. Heichan Sarifluhu. It was according to the Rabbanon, ultimately, again, where is the carbon burned? So the Gemara says, Kidisanya. We learned Heichan Nisrafin. Ultimately, again, where are carbonos that are taken out, burned? So the Gemara says, Litzefona Shayirushalayim. It's burned ultimately, again, to the north of Yerushalayim. Vichutz Lashalosh Machanos. And outside of all three Machanos. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi says, Abes Hadeshen Nisrafin. So Rabbi Yossi says, the carbonos are burnt. By the base Hadesh. And I will say now, what is this a reference? So if you look at Rashi, it's top Rashi. Top Rashi, base Hadesh. So I'll say, here's what's interesting. Remember again, Trumas Hadesh and removal of Ash is the first avoda that is done in the morning. Now remember, Trumas Hadesh itself normally just requires from Ash from the top of the Mizbeach to what? To be brought to the bottom of the Mizbeach. You're actually not taking it out anywhere. Well, we're going, we, 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 we've, we're, we've learned already before that halacha once the ash pile on top becomes too intense or becomes too overwhelming, then in fact we do begin to go ahead and take it out. So the Gemara says, here's what's interesting, that for these carbonos that are, and when we take it out, we take it out to what we call the base hasreifa, the base hasreifa, which was an area outside of the Gimel Machanos, outside of Yerushalayim. So what the Gemara is pointing out of is something very interesting. Rabbi Yossi says, Rabbi Yossi says that in general, whenever you have a carbon that has to be burned outside of Yerushalayim, you are supposed to burn it in what's called the base Hadashan. Rabbi Yossi, now what's the base Hadashan? The base Hadashan is a place upon, in which you deposited the ash. Where is the base Hadashan? Where is it? 
wherever you deposit the ash. Right, so there's not a particular there's not a particular geographic location. It's just wherever you wherever you end up depositing the ash outside of Yerushalayim, that becomes now known as the base Hadeshen, and that's where you have to go ahead and burn any of the other kabbalas that require mechutz to gimel machanos. So the Rabbi Yosi Omer, a base Hadeshen is rough. Omer Rabba, man tanu the palakali Rabbi Yosi, who is the tanu argues Rabbi Yosi, Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. That's Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. The Sanyo al Shefa Hadeshen Yisarif. The Pasik says to the Shefa Chadeshen, you will burn the animal there. Shehei Lisham Deshen, Lisham Deshen, or Shehei Lisham Deshen. It should be the place ultimately again where the Deshen was deposited. So both say there are there are two things going on over here. Number one, number one, it appears that the consensus opinion is building that Allah so whenever you're whenever you're burning something outside of the base Amikdash, you're burning it ultimately Machanos. I will point out, by the way, the notable example to that is what? Actually, once again, this week's parashas Paraduma, right? Paraduma is only burnt Michutzla Machana Achos, right? Para, well, actually, I, should, I take that back. It's really, Paraduma is burnt in Yerushalayim, but remember again, it's not burnt in the, in the base of Mekdush, nor is it burnt on the Harabais, right? It's burnt across the valley on Harazesim. But Lamaisa, again, any other time you're burning sacrificial animals, the parkoin gold to the para to the para Yom kipper, you're burning it michutz l'shalosh machnos. You're burning it outside of all three camps outside of Yerushalayim. What Rabbi Yossi is not introducing is, by the way, whenever you have to burn something, so burn it in what we call the makom base hadashen, the place where you deposited the ash. Where is the place where you deposit? Where where is that? Where is that? wherever you deposit the ash. But the idea is, Rabbi Yossi seems to be saying that Allah so once you're burning something, burn it in a place that apparently like is already vested with some level of, sac- we'll call some level of sacrificial sanctity. You've already deposited the ash there. Okay. So the Gemara goes right there. So Rabbi Yossi, it's interesting that the place, the place, where you're going to go ahead and burn the carbon, should be a makom meshupach. So we'll say, makom meshupach literally means a slanted area. A slanted area. Maybe ultimately, again, this in and of itself is... Is the is the point of contention? That Allah are there any like topographical obligations for this place or topogra- topographical criteria for the place in which you're going to burn the carbon chutz lamachana? Interestingly enough, Rebbe Lezer seems to say we want a makom meshupach, a slanted area. Right? I guess things could slide off a little bit easier. So again, that could be the source of machlokus as well. Good. Ten rabbanim. So we'll say now we go back to the brayso. We will say bottom line by the halacha lamaisa we paskin that the par and the sa'ir are burnt michutz legimal machanos. So they are burnt outside of the base of mikdash, um, outside of Yishlam, Excuse me. But the tumas begodim sets in as soon as you leave the chomas ha'azara. So as soon as you leave the wall of the base of mikdash, there's tumas begodim. But the carbon itself is halacha lamaisa burnt outside of all gimel machanos. Good. Ten rabbanon v'hasoreif. Hasorif. So we'll say the pasuk says the one who burns the carbon hasorif mitame begadim velo hamatzis es haar. So I'll say interestingly enough, who is one who becomes? Who is the one who becomes tame? Only the one who actually burns the carbon. Now, as opposed to velo hamatzis es haar, not the one who lights the fire. Velo hamesaders hamaaracha, not the one who sets up the pyre of wood. So we'll say it's very interesting. Remember again. 
to burn the part in the sutter is, uh, takes a village, right? You need, uh, you need a group of people. So you might have thought that everyone who participates in the burning of the part in the sutter maybe becomes Tameh. Maybe that's what happens. Kamash no, the Gemara says, only the individual who actively burns the par. Bepashtus means the person who places the limbs on the fire, stokes the limbs, stokes the fire. That's the person who's going to become Tameh. But the guy who goes in and lights the fire, or the guy who sets up the pyre, they are not going to be Chayiv. So the Gemara says, who, who is the Soref? Right? What, what's the definition of the Soref? Zam Seya that's anyone who goes ahead and aids in the burning of, misalitah means helps, anyone who aids in the burning of the sacrificial limbs. So the Gemara says, Yachal, Af Mishanasu Efer. So let's say, now what's interesting about this is as follows. So what this does sound like is, you know, let's say Ruvain is the one who places the limbs on the fire. So clearly, again, he's going to become Tameh. And then Shimon comes along, and what's Yibos say? You know, when you, when you burn sacrificial, anytime you burn sacrificial pieces, you need to what? You need to like move it around. You need to move it around. So it sounds like over here that halacha lemaisa, if Shimon were then to come along and let's say turn over the limbs so, so, it, so it burns faster, that Shimon would be, Shimon would be tame as well. Anyone who is engaged in the active burning of the limbs will become tame. So we'll say this is interesting. Yachal af mishenasu efer. We'll say, what about if you aided in the burning after it already became ashes? So let's say again, the limb already became ashes. And right, Ruvain put it on the fire. The limb already became ashes. Then Shimon comes along and moves the ashes around. So you might have thought that Shimon becomes Tameh. So the Gemara says, Therefore the Pasuk says, Osam. It is only when the limbs are in existence, right? Only when the limb is a limb, right? Only when there is sacrificial busser that ultimately, again, it conveys tumah. But once it, once it turns to ash, even if you do something about it or do something to it, there's no tumas begadim in that situation. So this is very interesting. So Rabbi Shimon says, the par, the limbs themselves, are what convey to him. In other when we say the limbs, meaning that when you go ahead and you put the limbs on the fire, or for that matter, again, manipulate the limbs on the fire, that's when there's tumah. Nitach ha-basar, now in this context, you know, beforehand, the word nitach meant, meant, um, what was the word? Dismembering, right? Dismembering. Here, right, Rashi points out that the word nitach means decomposed. Decomposed. So what happens again if the limbs became decomposed? Nitach abasar, eno metan begadim. So this is very interesting because Rabbi Lezor Bishimim says as follows. The only time, the only time that halacha lamaisa, the limbs convey tumah, is when you're manipulating the limbs, existing limbs on the fire. But once the limb decomposes, right, decomposes, even though again it's still extant, in other words, you can still see it, Halacha Lamaisa doesn't convey Tumah. So it appears that we have a machlokis over here. Because remember again, in the first statement in the Gemara, first statement in the Braisa, the Braisa said, whoever goes ahead and manipul- places the limb or manipulates the limb on the fire ultimately becomes Tame Tumas Begadim. But then the Mishnah said, the Braisa says that what? Once the limb becomes ashes, if you manipulate it, then what? Then what? You don't, you don't contract Tumas Begadim. Yet, Rabbi Lazar Shimon comes along and says, once the limb has decomposed, 
you no longer contract Tomas Begadim. So it appears that there's a machlokas. So the Lord says, what's the practical difference between these two opinions? I'll tell you. Both say, what happens after the limb is just a charred, you know, a charred block of flesh? Does it convey Tomas Begadim if you go ahead and manipulate it or move it while on the fire? According to the first opinion on the right, so the answer would be yes. Because according to the first opinion, the, the meat conveys Tomas Begadim until when? Until when? It's reduced to ash. However, according to Elizabeth Mishim, the answer would be no. Because once essentially it's reached the stage of, of decomposition, of decomposition, then halacha lemaisa, halacha lemaisa, it conveys Tomas Begadim. So we'll say it's an interesting machlokas until what point in time the parent of Sarah conveyed Tomas Begadim. The Rambam Paskins like the first opinion in the Braisa, namely that halacha lemaisa, the meat of the parent of Sarah, the flesh, will convey Tomas Begadim until it is reduced to ash. So whoever manipulates that on the fire until it becomes ash, Contracts Tomas Begadim. Incredible. So we'll say back to the Kohen Gadol. This, this is really fascinating. Amrulo the Kohen Gadol. So we'll say, so now remember again. Now remember again, they say to the Kohen Gadol as follows. Higia Sa'ir le Midbar. They tell the Kohen Gadol, Kohen Gadol, good news, the Sa'ir has reached the Midbar. The Sermish Dayak has reached the Midbar. So the Gemara says, by the way, Minayin, first of all, before we do that, look at Rashi. So I want to point out something very interesting. You know, before the Mishnah said, he goes over to the part of the Sayyar, he cuts it open, takes out the sacrificial parts, and remember, he puts it in a bowl. But the Mishnah, but the Gemara made it very clear that what didn't he do yet? What didn't he do yet? He did not offer it up on the Mizbech. Why not? You cannot offer up the sacrificial parts of the part of the sire until you know for sure that the Ish-Iti reached the Midbar. He's got to reach the Midbar because that's the progression of the Psukim. So the Mishnah now says they would tell the Kohen Gadol, by the way, the Ish-Iti, he reached the Midbar. Good news. He reached the Midbar. And therefore you could continue with the burning of the sacrificial parts. The Mishnah says, by the way, how do you know that? How do they know? Remember again, it was what he pointed out, it's about six miles away. How did they know that he reached, that he reached the, uh, that he reached the Midbar? So the Gemara says, Dear Kos, how you osim umanifin bisudarin v'yodin she'egiyah se'er the Midbar. So they had Dear Kos. We'll say, what are Dear Kos? Look at Rashi. Dear Kos, b'nei adam omdim Yerushalayim l'tzuk. They had individuals. They had individuals ultimately again who stood from Yushalayim to the from, I'm sorry, Yom Yushalayim Litzuk. So individuals who were stationed between Yushalayim and the Tsuk and the cliff. And what would happen? Shiira as Simano Umanifin listen to this. They wave flags. They wave flags, they had a bunch of people set up between Yushalayim and the cliff. And we're going to say she doesn't even have to go all the way to the cliff. And essentially, again, they would wave a flag. One guy would wave a flag. And again, they, they would set off a wave of flags until they saw Yerushalayim that ultimately the individual had reached. He had reached the, he had reached the Midbar. So the Gemara says, says, The truth is, there's an easier way not to rely on flags. 
Right? What was the easier about say from Yerushalayim va'ad beis chidudo shloshin shloshamil? So we'll say in general to get from Yerushalayim to the beginning of the desert. Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of the desert. So to get from Yerushalayim from the base of Mikdash, or from Yerushalayim, I should say, to the beginning of the desert was a distance of three mil. Three mil. So we'll say, what would they do? Holchin mil. Now remember again, in the last Mishnah, we already learned that what? That people would escort the Ish'iti for a mil. So they would escort him out a mil. And then what? V'chosrim mil. They would then have to walk back a mil. V'shohin kidei mil. And then they would wait the amount of time that it takes to walk a mill. So we'll say, in words, what, what Rabbi Hud is saying is, you don't need flag wavers. There's a pretty easy way to just understand that we know, we know how much time it takes. It, right, it's a distance of three mil. We know how long it takes to walk three mil. So there are already people escorting the Ish Iti one mil. So they're going one mil, coming back another mil. So that's already two mil. If we just wait the amount of time that it takes to walk a third mil, we can be confident that ultimately, again, the Ish Iti has already reached the midbar. But I'll say it, it's interesting. The Yodin the Midbar. And ultimately, again, we know that the Sayyir got to the Midbar. So we'll say, so it, it is interesting that Rabbi Yehuda would say that pretty much you could rely, you could rely on, um, on an estimation. In other words, I will say, remember, the beauty of the flag approach is what? Is what? Right? You know definitively. Right? First of all, we'll say two things. You know definitively what time, right? What, when? And also, you know definitively, you know, also, again, Everyone knows when you're traveling with a goat, so many things could come up, right? It's so much stuff. Bathroom stops, right? Different things like that. Who knows what has to happen with a goat, right? So it's interesting that Rabbi Huda pretty much allows you just to operate based on a calculation of time, which, which is really fascinating. Maybe you build in a cushion, right? I, I, don't, I don't know, right? But it is interesting that Rabbi Huda just allows you to operate based on an estimation of time, whereas the Tanakam will say, why, why rely on, on, why do you have to rely on estimations? We could set up a system that, that explicitly tells you when the goat arrives. And as we will say, it's not such a big distance that you can't figure out a way to definitively know when the Sayyir has reached the Midbar. It's just not such a big deal. I'll say, in, in, in general, it's, it's interesting that there are times in life where you kind of have to make an educated guess, and there are times in life when you can actually make decisions based on real information. And too many times in life we make educated guesses when we can actually go ahead and get real information. Let's say, you know what this comes up more often than not is in the realm of relationships, right? How many times does it happen that we do things based on what we think other people are feeling? Or we do things based on why we think other people are doing the things the way that they do. And instead, there's a much simpler eight, so which is, which is, ask, 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 how are you feeling? Right? Do you, I, I think I know how you feel. How, how, how are you feeling? Why did you do that? Why are you acting that way? How did this make you feel? And instead of going ahead and acting in relationships based on guesses and estimates and approximations, we could actually be explicit. And it's amazing how much more shalom there are in relationships when people are actually explicit with their feelings, where people are explicit with their intentions, and when people don't rely on guesstimates but actually talk things out. So it's just, it's just fascinating over here why Rabbi Yehuda, but again, I will say, the beauty, the beauty of Rabbi Yehuda's position is, on one hand, what is a guesstimate also becomes its own self-contained process. And as Rabbi say, there is a certain beauty of setting up a process that is not dependent on people. 
right? Because Klal Gadol is any time you don't have to depend on people, it's generally better off. So, so the beauty of Rabbi Yehuda's model is you don't have to rely on anyone. You just, you start to, you start to watch, right? I know when the ishit leaves, I know how much it takes to walk three mil, and again, I'll set my alarm by that, and then I'll be ready to do the avod. So again, pros and cons to both. So what's that? The Gemara says, but Aaron said, Rabbi Shmuel, Omer, Achrahu. Rabbi Shmuel says, I don't understand. There's a different way for the coin Gadol to know when the Ish Iti reached the Midbar. What's the way to know that, Rabbi The Gemara says, Lashon, Lashon shal hayukasha There was a white string, or a red string, I should say, that was strung up by the entranceway of the Beis HaMikdash. And when the Sa'ir reached the desert, the string would turn white. Ultimately, again, if your sins will be like crimson red, they will be whitened like snow. So Rabbi Shmuel says, there's such an easier way. As soon as the sir would reach the desert, ultimately, again, the string would turn white. Rabbi Shmuel again, why do the first two opinions reject Rabbi Shmuel? Why do they reject that? They know he's turned white. Right? Rabbi Shmuel I just want to point out, if I'm going to have time for it, we'll see. But this in and of itself is a fascinating machlokas about whether or not the string always turned white. There are conflicting accounts in the Gemara. There are accounts that seem to indicate that it always turned white and accounts that we just saw two days ago that it didn't always turn white. But say, what, I do want, what I do want to draw your attention to is something absolutely amazing. According to Rabbi Shmuel, when did the string turn white? When, when did it turn white? When the sire reached the midbar. Very different than our previous understanding. We assume that when did, when did the string turn white? When you pushed the goat off the cliff. So Rabbi Shmuel said, so there is a machlokas. What's the svarah to say that the goat, that the string would turn white ultimately again when you got the goat to the midbar? Because we'll see what Rabbi Shmuel is saying is something dramatically amazing. If you think about part of the hashkafa of the Seir La'azazel, ultimately again is made up of two parts, the hashkafa, right? Number one is the journey. Number one is the journey. And the journey is the journey from Yushan, from the base of Mikdash, to the desert, right? And then there's the tachlis, right? There's the finish line, which is what? Pushing the goat off the side of the cliff. Many times in life, we think that accomplishment is only felt when you push the goat off the cliff, right? Accomplishment is only when you cross the finish line, only when you reach the tachlis. And what Rabbi Shmuel is saying is, Klap Yishra'an Eisavachadish Baruch Hu, the Rebbe does not judge our life success based on crossing the finish line. He judges our life success based on a willingness to take the journey. And if you're willing to engage in the journey, if you're willing to leave the confines and the comfort of what you know and venture into the unknown in the pursuit of something greater, that's life accomplishment. And that, right? So if you're willing to leave the confines and the comfort of the Beis HaMikdash and you're willing to journey out into the desert, you're willing to go ahead and push yourself harder to embrace some greater destiny, to embrace some greater unknown, as soon as you reach that desert... It's lachto. You have accomplished. You have accomplished. Mission accomplished. Vaharaya, Rabbi Shmuel says, the string turns white not when you push the goat off the cliff. The string turns white when you get to the desert. An incredible, I will say, incredible, you say, the Gemara says, Yagata 
Umatsasa. Kaddish Baruch Hu just tells us, Yagata, all I want you to do is engage in the journey. All I want you to do is to try. I recognize you don't control the results. I recognize that you can't always succeed in getting the goat off the cliff. That is true. But you could always control whether or not you choose to leave Yerushalayim, whether you choose to leave your present confines, which are sometimes mediocre, and go into venture into something great and unknown. That I control. That I control. Whether I get the goat off the cliff, whether I accomplish, whether I cross the finish line, often I don't control. But whether I'm willing to engage in the journey, that is within us. Rabbi Shmuel says, the ultimate success of the Jew is a willingness to engage in the process, is a willingness to engage in the journey, is a willingness ultimately again to engage, to journey into the desert. Once you do that, the red string turns white. Incredible, incredible. Amr Abaye, Abaye says, Shema mino beis chidudo bamidbar. Kaimo. So Abaye says, this beis chidudo that the Mishnah mentioned, this is the beginning of the desert. We just said, Rabbi Huda holds that Allah once it's Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Shmuel, once the goat gets to the desert, you have fulfilled the obligation. Shabbos says an incredible idea that according to Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Shmuel, it's the mitzvah of Seir La Azazel is fulfilled once you get to the midbar. Now, what does it mean that it's, it's fulfilled? What it means is the Kohen Gadol has the ability to continue with the rest of the Avod of Yom Kippur once it reaches the desert. He doesn't have to wait until ultimately it's thrown over the cliff. I will say, and the truth is we saw by the Sir Azaza, we already saw this earlier, two, three days ago, the only part of the Sir Azaza service that is Ma'akev is what? Little Chazara? Is the Hagrala is the lottery. In other words, if something happens to the Sir Azazel after the Hagrala, technically speaking, the obligation is fulfilled. But again, we want to ultimately get it to the desert. Once you get it to the desert, the mitzvah has been accomplished in that the Kohen Gadol has the ability to continue with the Avodah. And I will say again, feeds into that Hashkafi piece that we said before. The mitzvah of the Sir Azazel is to venture from the known into the unknown. The mitzvah of the Sir Azazel is to embrace your destiny by leaving the comforts of what you know and journeying into something else in the pursuit of some type of personalistic greatness and holiness. So once you leave Yerushalayim, and once you get into the desert, ultimately again, na'asis mitzvah. Because I will say the most life-affirming lesson in Yiddishkeit is that all HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants from us is effort. He doesn't judge us by results because he knows better than anyone else that so often in life, I don't control the results. The only thing I control is a willingness to take the journey. The only thing I control is a willingness to expend the effort. Incredible. Hajun Allah, Shnei Sir. I will say Mazel Tov. Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov. New, 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 new parak. Bolo Kohen Gadol Likros. I will say now, continuing with the Avoda. The Kohen Gadol, I will say now, this Kriya Satora. Kriya Satora. I'm sorry, by the way, I, I want to apologize in advance. There's no half Torah. So you'll have to wait for Kiddush until afterwards. I apologize about that. But Emirat Sashem, but uh, no, no break, no break, but Emirat Sashem, Kriya Satora. So Balo Kohen Gadol Likros. So the Kohen Gadol now comes to go ahead and engage in Kriya Satora. So I'll say, now here's what's interesting, is we're going to see what is this Kriya Satora? Is this part of the Avoda, not part of the Avoda? So it's interesting because the Mishnah says as follows. If he wants to read the Big Day Bots, Big Day Bots, I'll say, are his white linen clothing that he wears during the Avoda, Big Day Kuna. So if he wants to wear his Big Day Kuna, he wears Big Day Kuna. Vim Lav, and if he doesn't want to wear his Big Day Kuna, Kori Be'itztelis Lav and Mishalot. He could wear his own white clothing. 
Right? He wears all night clothing. So in other words, we'll say, what's interesting over here is if he wants to wear a big day kunik or a big day kuna. If he wants to wear his own clothing, he wears his own clothing. Chazen HaKnesses, no tell Sefer Torah. Venos Torah HaKnesses. We'll say, listen to this. So the Chazen HaKnesses, so I will say the, the, the person in charge of the, of the Beis HaKnesses. So I will say, if you look at Rashi, Rashi says over here, Beis HaKnesses, Rashi says, There was a shul. There was a shul. Ultimately, again, next to the Azara, on the Har Habayis. Isn't that incredible? I will say, I want to tell you, I am applying for that job in Yerat Hashem, right? If they're looking for someone, I will say, what a, can you imagine, can you imagine, right, having that shul over there, right? On, right, on, right, on the Harabais, the young Israel of the Harabais, right? Whatever, whatever it is, right? right? It, it, absolutely incredible. So there, there, there is a shul on that, which I will say also tells you something very interesting. Just about the, you'll ask yourself, why do they need a shul, <laughs> right, outside of the base Hamikdash? So first of all, there's always somebody who's not going to daven somewhere, right? I'm not, I don't daven here, I don't daven, I daven at the... So, so again, it, it is interesting, it tells you also about the role of a base Haknesses. The base Hamikdash is not a base Haknesses, they're two, they're two very, very different things. Again, not our topic for now, but it is fascinating that there is a base Haknesses, there is a shul on the Harabayas. So the Chazen Haknesses, what does he do? No tell Sefer Torah. So they took the Sefer Torah. Venosla the Rosh HaKnesses. He gives it to the Rosh HaKnesses. So we'll say, so the Chazin HaKnesses, Rashi says the Shamish, right? This is the, the attendant. He gives the Sefer to the Rosh HaKnesses. Now we'll say, this is great. Who's the Rosh HaKnesses? Rashi says, Alpiv Nechtachin Sarche HaKnesses. This is the most important guy in Shul because he decides what's going to happen in Shul. Mi Maftir, who gets Tav Torah, Mi Poris Al Shema, who davens for the Amid, Mi Ovrath Neateva, right? So I'll say, who is this? The Gabai, right? So some things haven't changed. The Gabai is the most important person in Shul, right? So he decides who gets all of the Kibudim. So the Chazan, the Shamish, gives the Sefer Torah to the Gabai. The Rosh says, no snow the scan, and the Gabai gives it to the scan coin goggle. Vaskan no snow the coin goggle. And the scan gives it ultimately again to the coin goggle. say, if this sounds familiar, if this sounds familiar, remember again, there's a similar Mishnah Meseches Megillah that also highlights what happened during Hakel, right? By Sukkis time, by Sukkis time, by the Kriya, all in, the, in the year, well, it'll be next year, right? Because this year is the Shemitah year. In the year after Shemitah, the year after Shemitah, they would do Hakel. So a very similar process was outlined. So the sky would give it to the Kohen Gadol. The Kohen Gadol, Omidu Mekabal, the Kohen Gadol would stand up and receive the Sefer Torah. The Korei, and what would he read in the Sefer? Achremos v'ach ba'asar. So also he read Achremos, which again is the section in the section of the Avoda, and Ach ba'asar in Parshas Emar, which is the section about Yom Kippur, Vagodal Sefer Torah, Umaniach Becheiko. And he would then roll up the Sefer Torah. After the Kohen Gadol read these two sections, we're going to see about say, actually, he only, he read, he read Achremos from the Sefer and read the section of Ach Ba'asar in Emar, he read it Baal Peh. We'll see this. Then he rolls up the Sefer, Maniach Bechalk Becheiko, he holds the Sefer, so you have to imagine this scene, how moving it must have been. The Kohen Gadol, wearing his, his white clothing, whether his big dick on his own clothing, he just did the Kriyasa Torah, he rolled up the Torah, he's holding the Sefer Torah. V'omer, There is more, much more than what I have read before you, that's written in this scroll. We'll see exactly what the meaning of that statement is. And I will say the section in Parshas Emar that outlines the 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 um, 
that goes through Yom Kippur, the, the sacrificial parts of Yom Kippur, he read that Palpeh. He makes eight brachas, Rabbi Osai, on the, on the, on the Kriya. Allah Torah, the Al Ha'avoda, again, we'll go through all of these brachas. A bracha on Torah, a bracha on Avoda. Now it's actually interesting. Rashi says over here, Allah Torah is the bracha of Asher Nasan Lanu, which is the second bracha, the bracha we say after an Aliyah. Allah Avoda, which is the bracha of Ritzei. Ritzei, the bracha of Va'al Ha'oda, which is Modim, Va'al Mechilas Ha'avon, Macha La'avon Osil Miyam Kippurim the bracha that says, forgive us for all of our Averus, Va'al HaMikdosh Bethne Atzmo, then there was a bracha for the base HaMikdosh by itself, and there was a self-contained bracha for the base HaMikdosh, Vi'al Yisrael B'fnei Atzman and bracha for Klal Yisrael Vi'al B'fnei Atzman for Yishan So we'll see all of these brachas in the Gemara Vi'al Kohanim B'fnei Atzman and ultimately again a bracha for the Kohanim as well Vi'al Shar HaTfilah and ultimately again then there is a bracha for the remainder of Tfilah We'll see again we'll see in the Gemara we'll explain what all of these brachos are After this so the Gemara says Haroa Kohen Gadol Kishukorei Eino Roa Parvisar Vanesrafim We'll say if you saw the Kohen Gadol Doing Kriyas Torah, you would not see or you could not see the burning of the par in the sire. And really, And if you saw the par in the sire being burned, you could not see the Kohen Gadol doing the Kriyas Torah. It's not because you're not allowed to. But it's like, why if you saw one, could you not see the other? Why not? Can't dance at two chasanas, right? Can't be in two places at the same time. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, two different locations. The Gemara says, Elo, Shehaisa Derech Rechoko, Umeleches Shnehen Shavaka'acha. So we'll say, ultimately, again, there are two different places. Remember, again, the burning of the parasha is outside of Yerushalayim. The reading of the Torah, we're going to see, was in the Ezra's Nashim, the major courtyard. And therefore, you could not be in two places. Rabbi say, why, why, why isn't, it, isn't, isn't this intuitive? Isn't this intuitive? Right? Why do you have to mention this? We'll say, do you know what the Gemara is teaching us? Remember, there's Ashkaf and everything. What, what is the mission trying to teach us? You can't have everything in life. You can't have everything. And whenever you choose A, by definition, you're sacrificing B. See, we don't like the word sacrifice, because sacrifice, you know, no one wants to have to give something up. But every time you make a decision, you're making a sacrifice. So if you chose to see the Kohen Gadol doing the Kriyasa Torah, you could not see the Paranus Sawyer. And if you chose the Paranus Sawyer, you cannot go in and see and see the coin Gadol. Life is filled with choices. And whenever you choose one thing, you have to give up something else. Chazal teaching us, be careful what you choose and be careful what you give up. Because there is no such thing as a choice without a sacrifice. And all too often we make choices and we don't contemplate what we have to sacrifice as a result of that choice. And then we look back and we regret the decision because of what we had to sacrifice. Before you choose, before you, before you choose, think about what you're choosing, but also think about what you have to give up and make an informed decision. Says the Gemara. Listen to this. So the, the Gemara begins the discussion, which we'll have to continue into tomorrow. But I will say, the Gemara says, the Mishnah is a bit enigmatic because the Mishnah says, if the Kohen Gadol wants to wear his own clothing for the Kriyasa Torah, he has the ability to do so, right? Which sounds like what? Which sounds like what? The Kriya is not part of the Avoda. Because if the Kriya was part of the Avoda, then what would be the Halacha? What would be the Halacha? 
you must wear big tikkun. Or as I will say, there's no option. You have to wear big tikkun for avoda. The fact that it says he could even wear his, his regular clothing indicates to us that it's not an avoda. Midik tani bits this lavan mishalo mechlad de kriya lav avodahi. Vikatani, but yet the same Mishnah says, in Matzah Likros Bevigdei Butz, Kore, that if he wants to go ahead and do the Kriya with linen clothing, he has the ability to do so. So we'll say, which sounds like, even though reading is not an Avodah, if he wants to wear Big Day Kahuna, he has the right to do so. What do you see from this statement? Shamas Mina, Big Day Kahuna Nitnu Lehanos Bahen. We'll say, it sounds like what? That you are permitted to go ahead and get Hana from Big Day Kahuna. Right? Because remember, what does that mean? If you weren't allowed to get Hana from Big Day Kuna, then what? Then what? Then Allah said you shouldn't be able to wear them during the Avoda. The fact that you can wear it during the Avoda tells us that you're permitted to get Hana from Big Day Kuna. Bosa will stop over here. I'm going to leave you on that on this, on this question. We'll pick up here. I just want to give you coming attractions tomorrow. Tomorrow, dramatically amazing daf. Dramatically, overwhelmingly amazing daf. An incredible Gemara. I'm not even going to tell you what it's about. That's that's how much I'm going to tease you with this. To be kitty, Rabbi Sayyid Shkayach. Opportunity to say I'm leaving you on a cliffhanger. You know what? Um, my my uh, my colleague would said it to me yesterday. So. Uh,